Wait. <laughs> I don't think I was sharing my audio. You're still recording. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's, this is awesome. <laughs> this is just, this is like all kinds of, uh, this is good times. Oh, this is so us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hush up. We come for you! We come for you! Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> we're, we're all kinds of jacked up tonight. <laughs> Skynet is down. <laughs> Skynet is down. Dr. Ramirez's whole system is just completely backfired on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm telling you, we don't have a snurd like it, and it's what it's all about right there. <laughs> Somebody to keep us all on track. <laughs> you know, you, you you try to you you try to do it, and sometimes it's just it just doesn't want to be done. I know. I I, I say that to my <laughs> wife every once in a while too. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I tried. Oh, it just didn't. It just God. didn't. Happen. That's good stuff. That was too funny. I there was just a cacophony of errors, and it was like, well, screw it. We're already into this whole thing. Let's just keep going. There's, there's no me. point in trying to start over now. <laughs> only way, only way to make it better is to get straight on through. Well, you know, this is going to be a really interesting lead into uh, to our topic tonight. Okay, because uh, we're talking about adaptation. <laughs> oh yeah here we go <laughs> adapt and overcome okay oh my god it's, that's just too, have no fear by season best. three which is rapidly approaching we oh, we're in should have we're, we're, oh. we're in season three i think this is actually episode three of season three now oh crap never mind yeah. sorry viewers and listeners <laughs> by season four but yeah four four stay tuned <laughs> hopefully we don't go through a three strikes and you're out rule here on the fusion underground otherwise we just oh will sign God. off it's been real have a good night oh see you God. later yes yes <laughs> yes and we're back with another episode i think i think we're back with another episode we'll see how this one goes <laughs> season three episode or season three episode three of the fusion underground 
Wow, we're really kicking off to a great start here in uh, November, on November 1st. But here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do here is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined, as always, in the virtual studio by my brother, Jason Moret. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, brother. I'm great. <clears throat> Good stuff. This is the highlight of my week is watching oh, yeah. you fumble around with your massive technology. <laughs> a sound powered phone. <laughs> oh. Oh. All righty. All right. See you, everybody. I think we're done. Yep. That's it. Can't possibly <laughs> get any worse. <laughs> it's only up from here. <laughs> So we are recording this on the Day of the Dead, day after Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, did, were you able to see the full moon last night? I did. That was really, that was pretty awesome. It was completely overcast down here. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. No, actually, I was out and um, showed my daughter. Of course, she's way too young to really grasp, you know, a blue moon and a hunter's moon at the same time and all that. She yeah but i just said well when you're older and out of the house i'll tell you it happened again and i'll remind you of this and you'll you won't remember it but that's okay we'll go over did you tell her that a smurf was born last night that a smurf was born last night yes smurfs are born on blue moons sorry i missed that in (laughs) trivia class apparently (laughs) i I was out must have been on the astronomy class where we started we talking about the uh, the smurf Smurf Smurfs are born every blue moon. One Smurf is born every blue moon. There See? must not be very many of them. That's, there's <clears> not. <throat> there's only about a hundred of them. Okay. So, you know. What do you so. got a clicker? Are you keeping track? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Smurfette. I already counted you. Get in there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's going to be one of those days. Yes. So did did you get a lot of trick or treaters or no? So uh, we actually we we got everybody ready and I put the the bowl of candy right out in front of my door. My neighborhood's pretty good. I don't have a, a lot of punks coming around just basically taking all of the candy at once. Um, everybody's you know pretty of. good. Not that I know of. <clears throat> but uh, and then we got every we got the two kids out and we went trick or treating. So by the time I came back, the candy was gone. So. Well, I would good. say we had a fair amount. There was a there was a fair amount of kids out there trick or treating. Nowhere near what I'm used to in this neighborhood. Last year, I mean, you couldn't drive through my neighborhood because there were that many people walking it. Oh wow! So, yeah, no, it's this neighborhood here where I'm at is just littered with trick or treaters everywhere. Usually, so I got a, a decent decent amount of trick or treaters. We got a, a decent amount here and. It was good to see them. Yeah, so. it, they were out. I was <clears throat> a little disturbed by some of the, there was a lot of houses dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was really sparse, really sparse as far as who was giving out candy. And then, I, dude, the, the, the COVID thing, I, mm-hmm. there, I must not be on the Pinterest, you know, panhandle because I don't understand where people come up with some of these, um, uh-huh contraptions on how to actually hand out candy 
I saw whole like Rube Goldberg devices for giving out candy really? to kids. Oh my gosh. There were people that had like these big, I'd say two or three inch PVC pipes that went down at a ramp and they would come up and they go, okay. And you hit the, they'd push their candy through and it'd slide down into their bucket. And so you know. after, so I want to get this straight. So after they sneeze in their hand, they grab a piece of candy and throw it down the chute. Yes. Okay. Oh no, this is, okay. this is just a, it's a feel good. I mean, mm -hmm. I even saw one that actually had two strings and a pulley system on one, on eat on the near and far end. Mm -hmm. And they were little, they closed lined or closed pin bags of candy. Uh -huh. And then, so one kid would come up and undo the clothesline, put yeah. the clothesline in a uh, dirty or contaminated clothesline, clothespin bucket full of uh -huh. other ones, take their candy. And then somebody would, <clears throat> and you know, sleek the next uh, bag of candy up the, I'm like, oh my God, there were four, maybe five houses that actually you got to go up and ding dong say trick or treat and people well, would come to the door with candy which was awesome i went yeah, that's what that's what every we did single house. one of those parents yeah, uh, and i did here too right at the house they yeah. came up ding dong trick or treat hey guys here take some candy it was it was cool that was yeah. while we were still that, trying to get ready but. <clears throat> that's what we did here we just passed out candy like normal <clears throat> there was a um a friend of mine on facebook she posted a picture of her daughter who's now in high school 16, 17 years of age or something like that. And she posted a picture of her daughter because her daughter was going to go to a Halloween party. And at this, <clears throat> at this Halloween party, all of the attendees had to bring proof of their COVID test, <clears throat> of a negative COVID test. So I'm thinking, well, well what, what good is that? That's a faux sense of security. Right. You, the, you got the test a week ago you could have been mm -hmm. sneezed on as soon as you walked out of the clinic and got sick. You know, you could have been sneezed on an hour before you went to the party. Right. There's all no. that, all that proves is that you were negative for COVID at the time you took the test. That's all it proves. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's all it proves. Sure. <clears throat> but so I, I, all, all of this, all of this crap, none of it is to actually really prevent anybody from getting it it's just to make all of us kind of feel good so to speak yeah that we're doing something because right. i mean let's be honest none of this crap will work has no. worked no. or is going to if it if it did if it was it would have already right right the I mean, remember we were supposed to be uh, two weeks was all it was right. going to take to lock ourselves away. We did it for a month. Flatten and the nothing curve. Yeah. Remember it was two, two weeks to, to the, slow the curve. curve. Yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah. look at none of that happened. The, right. This is exactly what I said it was going to do back in. When did I even talk to you about this? February, March. Everybody's going to be exposed. Everybody is going to either have it come down with it, get sick and get over it. 99% of us are all going to have it and get over it without even probably realizing it. But you know, we are three days away from COVID going away because no, the election, we're the, three the, days the, away from the pandemonium going away. The, well, that's what I mean. It's same thing. It's one, <clears throat> one in the same, right? Because the election is on Tuesday mm. and November 4th, 
the election will have passed and then everybody will be good and we'll be able to go back to life as normal because a lot of this has been done for the sake of the election. Oh, what? And if you're in, is it Michigan? Where is Governor Whitmer? Uh, I think it's Michigan. I think she's the governor of Michigan. She's the crazy Democrat governor who was locking down everything and putting all of these restrictions. Months ago, she said you couldn't buy seeds uh, for your gardens and things like that. You know what she's doing? She's enacted this new executive order in the state starting tomorrow, I believe it is. Yeah, I believe it's tomorrow where when you go to a restaurant to have dinner, lunch, breakfast, whatever, that the restaurants will be required to take your name and your phone number. So all of the customers will have to have their names and phone numbers written down. And of course, this is so the restaurant can do their part for Dear Leader and report to the state all of the people that have attended. And if you were not following the protocols and taking necessary precautions and wearing masks or anything like that, then your name, your contact information will be passed up to the state for you to be dealt with. Wow. That's straight up Hitler youth type shit right Right, there. Right. And I, I, I hope, I hope the people of, of Whitmer's state, which I believe is Michigan. I hope the great people of Michigan turn out and vote for Trump because this is just as a revolt, as a revolt against this, uh, to send a message that says, no, we don't want to, we don't want to put up with this. We don't want to deal with this crap. That is absolutely crazy. Well, and you know, I made a comment to my wife out last night, you know, when we're watching all these uh, weird contraptions to make sure everybody's staying distance from each other and all the houses. And it's funny, you know, houses are, you can tell people are in them, but they're as far away from the front door as they can get so that you can barely see a flicker of a TV, but barely. Yeah. Um, And they're just this sense of just stupid paranoia and I, and she says you know hopefully we can get this won't be this way le- next year i'm going i don't know how do you come back to quote unquote normal from this degree of paranoia and fear and just insanity i don't know if there's a if there's a back to normal available to people like that oh sure there is sure there is and that's called the media will no longer have a reason to report on it after tuesday because remember, the only reason why we're reporting on this is to show negativity towards Trump and his inability to do anything and handle anything. So as soon as the election is over, there's very little reason for the media to report on it. And they'll find something else they'll to report on and, and they'll leave a lot of this in the dust and COVID will just naturally go away. And have you noticed that there was a report, I think it was issued by the CDC last week that showed how flu, the, the flu rates have declined by 95% in the year 2020. That's just so, so it's very, weird. very bizarre. Yeah, uh, it just it's seems very so odd. odd. I wonder if there's a correlation, yeah. do you mm. think, between the flu um, epidemic actually going down by 95 freaking percent? Yeah. And then Not coronavirus sure. all of a sudden just, man, it's through the roof. Yeah. Everybody that died died terrible. of COVID. Just that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, but I have some I have some stuff that I want to share for you because you oh, know, okay, we, we are just a couple of days away now from the election. I've turned in my ballot. I turned in my ballot last week, <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> you know I did my part for the republic, and uh, yeah. So uh, of course, because um, we are not Biden supporters, and we admit that openly, 
uh, I have some some things here that I think are pretty funny that I think you'll get a kick out oh, of. No. Oh, so no. um, okay. yeah, check this one. Check the remember now. Remember when Bush was in a, when when Bush was running, <clears throat> there were those moments where he said funny things. A lot of people swore up and down that he said strategery, even though he himself did not <laughs> say strategery, right? Um, Actually, I remember those going on for a long time. Oh, yeah. All the gaps about Bush that he couldn't he couldn't speak or right. write a complete sentence or right. you know all that. Yeah. Yep. So so get a load of get a load of this. Get okay. a load of this. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure. What? <laughs> I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whatever he's going to do, he's really excited about it. Yes, yes. He's Whatever. really, and everybody out there is really excited about it because you can hear him. Yeah, what's he doing? I don't know, but he's going to do it better than Trump. No idea. <laughs> Take a look at this one. This one, this one is a great one too. And that's why. Special Operations Commander Stanley General Stanley McChrystal. General McChrystal. And that's why. Special Operations Commander Stanley General Stanley McChrystal. I called him Stanley McGeneral. <laughs> well, Stanley he, is McGeneral. He, is he a, is he a general or General yeah. McChrystal? Stanley McGeneral. And and here's a here's a here's another one. I I liked this one. We had a Biden moment. <laughs> I can't click the button. <laughs> Use your other thumb. Yeah. Okay, here it is. As kitchen table, I learned a lot of basic lessons. As kitchen table, I learned a lot of basic lessons. As a kitchen table. He learned a lot of basic lessons as a kitchen At table. At the kitchen table <clears throat> is what he, what he meant. At That's the... what he's trying to say. Yeah. 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 I don't believe he was he really thinks he was a kitchen table. I mean, maybe no. he was. He's had a lot of accomplishments in his yeah. long life, but I mean, yeah. I don't think being a kitchen table was one of them. Yeah, definitely not one of them. Did you did you see? Okay, so here's here's something that I wanted to talk to you about because okay, I think, okay, okay. I think this is great. So we, we have a lot of the we have a lot of polls coming out right now, right? Yes. Um last week I think it was Biden was was up across the entire country by 17 points. Oh yeah, he was kicking everybody's right. butt. Whoever he was, he was running against for Senate or yes. Congress or or, or uh, um yeah. Yeah. The, the presidency, the thing. You Senate. know the thing. Come on, man. <laughs> so by double <laughs> by double digits. So he was up by double digits yes. early last week, right? Yep. And then Polls were coming out showing how he had a double-digit lead in, Mich in Michigan, double-digit di lead in Pennsylvania, and a double-digit lead in Wisconsin. And then, um, and then, and then, as the as the I was we got closer to the weekend, another poll hit that said, you know what, Texas is in play. Texas is a statistical tie, it's a statistical dead heat, which means it can go either way. So my question for you becomes, well, why is it then that Biden canceled all of his Texas uh, showing, uh, you know, rallies or whatever, his, his campaign stops, 
when Texas, if he were, if Texas were actually in play, you would go to Texas, you would fight for Texas, you would try to actually get it to flop over. And that would get you alone, that alone would get you to 270. And you become president. But no, what has ended up happening is he went up to Michigan, Michigan and Wisconsin over the weekend. Now, why would, if you're on, if you are one of Biden's strategists, okay, why do you send your guy to the states where you allegedly are up by double digits in both states and not campaign in a state that you are theoretically? ready to shift. So that's my question. I, I have a theory. Okay, what is your theory? So let's pretend that I'm in the Biden camp and I'm on his campaign and I believe the polls. Okay, we're going to just swallow all that. I believe the polls. We're okay. up by double digits in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Texas is in play. If it were me, I would do exactly what they did. And I would send Biden to Michigan and Pennsylvania and not Texas. He didn't go to Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, Michigan then. Michigan and Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, I apologize. I would send him there and not to Texas. Okay, and why is that? Damage control. Explain. He is less likely to foul up Michigan and wherever else he's in double digit leads than Texas. If Texas is really in play and I really believe that, then the last thing I want to do is send babbling, blubbering, stumbling, bumbling, sleepy Joe to Texas for everybody to go, okay, I'm really ready to maybe, and I listen to him and I go, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I can't. Did you hear this guy? I can't do this. Okay. I'm voting for Trump. (laughs) To hell with that. No, if it really is teeter tottering, the best thing I could do for the Biden campaign is keep him the hell away from Texas. If it's really that close. So here's, here's my theory. My theory is the polls, the polls that we're seeing in the media are designed to influence voter turnout. They're not actually reflecting any of the sentiment. Now, I'm not saying that it's not a statistical tie or anything like that, as I don't know. But what I am saying is that what the way that the media is reporting and what the media is reporting is designed to um, to lead the people to vote a particular way. Now, I think the internal polling paints a completely different picture. Sure. Because the internal polling, they're looking for they have to be they have to be better they have to be more precise. They have to be, have a greater pulse on what's happening because they're targeting very specific areas to get those electoral votes. Right. I don't think it's a statistical tie in Texas. I think they're getting clobbered in Texas. Mm-hmm. I think going to Texas would be a complete waste of time. I think the polls in Michigan and Wisconsin are much tighter. Yes. And therefore, there's, he, send, there's, he, he went there to try to shore up that support and, and hold on to them. Because quite frankly, at the very beginning of this whole election cycle, Texas was not part of the strategy for the Democrats. Uh, just like California has not been part of the strategy for the Republicans. So I, I, think, I think the actions of the Biden camp speak volumes on how terrible the media polling 
actually is. But I have, and here's why, here's another reason why I derive at the conclusion that I do. I'm going to play a little video for, for you. Um, and, and I want to, we'll talk about it. First, we'll laugh about it and then we'll talk about it. But, but the video, <laughs> the, the video, <laughs> the video is in Texas. Okay. This was late, uh, late last week. So this is in Texas. Uh, and you're going to see video of the freeway. Okay. Okay. Um, so shoot, let me get back to, so I can like actually, right now, like, like share my, right I got I got it. Yes. I got to share oh, okay. the video. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. So here we go. So we're, you're going to see the, the freeway right here and he's going to pan across. You ready? You ready? Three, two, one. Now, do you see these trucks up here? Right in the front yes. here? Yep. These trucks right here in the front on the freeway, they all have Trump flags. Yep. I was coming back from um, Chino Valley down by Prescott Valley yesterday um, morning, and we passed going the other direction was a line of trucks doing the exact same thing. Yeah. So these trucks are all Trump, uh, have Trump, Trump banners on them, but you'll see this bus right here. Oh no, don't tell me it's a <clears> Biden <throat> bus. This bus is <laughs> the campaign bus. This was in Houston, Texas. This is in Houston, oh. Texas. So let's, let's finish watching this here. And go, welcome to the Isn't that fantastic? That is an axe. That's an awesome escort. And you it, know what? And it and it, it it trailed on for miles. Miles, miles. It trailed on for miles. You see all these trucks back here. They're all they all have the Trump banners. For miles, they basically led the bus out of Texas. And then <laughs> and then and then the campaign turned around and said, "We had forty stops that we were going to do in Texas. Canceled. All of them canceled." No. Yes. Really? 40 stops. This is why I think they left Texas. I think they realized wow. our internal polls were not going to win Texas. Move no, on. no, don't even bother wow. spending any time there. Well, you know, and here I, I was going to say, that's the kind of escort I would love to see happen for for, for any candidate. But <clears throat> Honestly, if that if that Biden Harris bus had stopped anywhere, I'll bet you a hundred bucks every one of those trucks would have lined up. Nobody would have come near them. No Secret Service needed. We got this. We're gonna make sure you just fine, sir. And uh, carry on. You say what you need to say. We'll make sure you get back on your bus alive. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. You know, just I think it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. As a matter of fact, there was. Uh, down, down by by Tucson. So in so in the south southern portion of the state, there was a a Trump parade. Yeah, of trucks and cars, all with American flags and Trump banners, and the the parade stretched for ninety six miles. What? 
96 miles. It was covered on the news here in Arizona. The media has now stopped reporting that Arizona is going to flip for Biden. They've been the, the last couple of weeks. They've been talking yeah, about how been it's getting to do it's, that. Yeah, it's, it's going uh, neck and neck. Whatever. Right. They've been talking about that going neck and neck in Tucson, where it, again, that's the People's Republic of Tucson down there. Um, you a, a caravan ninety six miles long. Wow. That yeah. went from what Tucson to Phoenix. Just about. I mean, because that's, that, yeah. I think it was also stretching south of Tucson. I'm not exactly sure where the actual route Lord. was, but it was stretching for 96 miles. This is unheard of. That's this crazy. Is, this is absolutely unheard of. Well, um, and and we've had in the past, there have been a lot of turnout for candidates as they show up. <clears throat> that What blows me away about this is, I mean, Trump's nowhere near Arizona and hasn't been for hasn't a little been. while. Well, um, I, I think Pence was here just a few days ago, but uh, he was. That's right. But regardless of where the president and vice president are, these things are happening all over the freaking nation. And right. they're just right. popping up, popping right. up, popping up, popping they're, up. And they're the response is not there. We're not talking like 10 to 15 people. We're talking hundreds of people that are going, heck yeah, I'll get in my truck. I'll pull yeah. my flag. Where do you even get Trump Pence flags on these kind of uh, these banners for these trucks like this on a whim? You, these guys have, they've had these, right. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's, in, it's incredible. I, I, I can't, I can't even, I don't even have words for it. It, it blows me away. This stuff's Here, happening all over. Here's a, here's another video here. Let's see if we can, let's see if you can understand what he says here. Remember, Bush got eviscerated for his strategic comment. <laughs> okay. Brock and I think it's a right for people to have bad health care. What? What? What was that? A a right adic for... Adequate. It's it's a right <laughs> for adequate health care. Right? Are you, are you sure? Let's hear that again. I don't know. Brock and I think it's a right for people to have bad health care. Bad health care. I don't, know, I don't know what Batacav care is. Let's Rock and I think it's a right for people to have Batacav care. Now, why does Barack and him think it's a right to have Batacav care and not but, and not Harris? Um because Barack Obama was popular, Kamala oh. Harris never was. Oh. That's why she dropped out of the race when she tried before, because she her popularity was in the toilet. Yeah. Okay. I mean, no, Obama's been out there trying to rally people up now for a couple of weeks at least. Yeah. And oh, they yeah, know nobody, and nobody's showing up. They did not have they thought they had the winning ticket with Kamala Harris. And no. Tried to warn you. No, not the pick you want. If you really want to energize the base, find somebody people are actually energized about. And they were yeah. never energized about her. Well, and remember, we were talking about the, the 96 mile train here. Check this one out. All right. I don't, I, it was just crappy music. So I just turned the music off, muted it. But um, you see here, somebody's driving down the road. And now you see all of these Trump supporters. They're terrible with the camera. But uh, Trump, Trump. <laughs> and it goes down that street. Um, that was in Massachusetts. Yeah. 
the 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 liberal stronghold of Massachusetts. There was there were uh, there was another giant rally, uh, spontaneous rally today in um, uh, Beverly Hills. See, and you you'd mentioned that you thought part of the reason why Trump wasn't going to California is because there's California is obviously not in play, and and I don't believe it is. I, I, that's, that's we are a long, long way away long. from that if we ever see that. But I think it would be just a kick in the pants to see him actually go there. Oh yeah, can you look? Ima- I mean, look at the there's there's. I mean, you showed one of um, Beverly Hills, I think, mm-hmm. last week when we were on recording. Yeah. Um, and there was there was just masses of people. I would wonder how many people that are stuck or feel that they're stuck living in that communist state that would love to come out and show mm-hmm. some love for the president. Look at look at this one. <laughs> Beverly Hills. You hear all the horns. Yeah, yeah. So there are people that that are just honking their horns in support of all of these folks who are who are marching here. This is Los Angeles. That's crazy. It's nuts, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm I'm I am starting to get excited about Tuesday. I am cautiously starting yes. to get excited because I do, I anything can happen. And I I'm sorry, I don't put anything past the Democrats to try and steal it regardless of what the vote is. Now I had a I, I had a question for you. This is mm-hmm. something I was talking about with a buddy of mine. Um, you know, the there's been a lot of talk that we won't we won't know who the winner of the election is on election night, and I'm I'm almost conceded to that point. And whether this election results are going to be contested going forward, probably we'll see how that pans out. The exception always is unless he wins in a landslide. We've talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if he wins in a landslide, that's almost like, well, game over. The, 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 there's nothing to, what are you going to argue? It's overwhelming. But what if it's not a landslide and he wins the electoral and the popular vote? Well, then I think, so here's the reason why I think he needs to win in a landslide. I think he needs to win on a landslide in order to stop any of the the ballot harvesting and voter fraud that's that's undoubtedly going to take place from the left. I mean, let's let's not forget that's how Al Franken got elected. Al mm-hmm. Franken got elected right. because the 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 election passed, and basically election night was for the Democrats to see just how many votes they needed to secure the win. To secure the win, and right. for days after the election. There were, you know, people from polling places allegedly kept finding boxes of ballots in the trunks of cars. And nobody had bothered to question, why do you have this in your car? Why are they in your car? And Where are just, they coming from? Exactly. They just kept yeah. finding them and kept finding them. And they kept on finding them until he until um, he had Franken enough was votes. was declared the winner. Yeah, right. until he was able to have enough votes to be declared the winner. Something similar happened... Um, in I think it was Washington State, 
where the governor, the Republican won, and the Democrats were able to just produce, keep producing ballots after the election day, and then they were able to secure victory. So these are, so you have to win enough where the sheer amount of voter fraud looks, begins to actually become apparent. So if you, if you have so much, so many people swinging for Trump on election night, then that just means the Democrats have to get millions of fake votes, which almost makes it impossible for them to do so. So that's why I keep saying he has to win in a, you know, I want him to win in a massive landslide because I don't want there to be any doubt. Right. Um, as long as he went now, what I think is hysterical is if he were to win the popular vote as well, because a lot of states have changed some of some states have changed their rules, their laws that said the winner that says the winner of the popular vote will now get the electoral vote. Right. I think and, California and was one of them. I think so. Uh, I, I think may be mistaken did. on that, but but regardless, th- this was something that I was the point that I was making with that is. You know, with we look at the 2016 election, you know, all this uproar about trying to get rid of the Electoral College because Hillary won the popular vote and blah. I mean, that's always been this, um, I guess, carrot being dangled over the head of the um, electorate. And I wondered if, well, you know, if he comes away and he wins the electoral vote and the popular vote, that just completely obliterates that argument. Right. So what is that going to do? I mean, is that where you go? Well, I guess we kind of we've kind of screwed the pooch with the wrong guy this time, so we'll just hang our head in shame. But again, I put absolutely nothing past the Democrats for their grab for power uh, and control. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was another rally that I saw today that was in Hawaii, um, with trucks and people. Just an impromptu, you know, hundreds of people turning out with American flags and Trump banners in Hawaii. That's incredible. That's I mean, crazy. Yeah. Um, just absolutely nuts uh, that that would happen. L- look at, look at this one. This is, um, this is one that's happening um, in, where was this one at? I think this one is also in California, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um It's, it's, it's crazy. It's That's crazy. Nice. There, there is something, something big is happening across the country. Um, this is hunting. This is, this is Huntington beach, uh, of all places. This is in LA. This is Los Angeles. Look at that. Um, we you know, can, go ahead. I, I, wow. I actually don't believe that this level of support, public showing of support would have been possible or would be possible or happening if it were not for all <clears throat> of the efforts 
of the social justice warriors and the Black Lives Matter movement and the protesters out there right now. Mm-hmm. I don't believe any of this would be happening. Yeah, I really don't. I, I, I truly believe that this is the American populace saying, you want to show up? Fine. I'm going to show up. Yeah. We're going to show up. And we're going to show you exactly the kind of numbers you think that you're up against. Because regardless of what, how this election turns out, these are the people that are not going to allow you to overtake their neighborhoods yeah. and overtake their cities. Check out the, this is funny. This is, uh, uh, I think this was down, this might've been in Texas. Um, Kamala Harris did a, she did a, a rally down there. Um, and, and this is quite phenomenal. You can see here is Kamala Harris. Uh-huh. Okay. And as I expand this, you'll be able to see exactly what Kamala Harris saw while she was on stage. Oh, you'll no. see in the back. <laughs> I was, my first reaction was like, wow, there's a crowd. There's actually a crowd. Oh no! There's a whole bunch there, of. Oh, Trump there's a crowd. Flags. There's a there's a there's crowd of a Trump supporters. Whole bunch of Trump flags back there. Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I, I, here's what I hope. I I okay. really hope that Trump wins on Tuesday. I hope that he wins. I hope it. I hope it's gigantic. I hope it's a massive red wave that just sweeps the country. I hope he wins handily handedly with with no doubt with gusto with gusto right i i really right. do and then six months later i can't wait for the books that will be published from inside the biden camp talking about all of the crap that they knew i read i read the hillary clinton book that came out of her campaign that talked mm-hmm. about all of the fiascos and it was a glorious read it was absolutely glorious to read that particular book I look forward to reading these books as they come out. Do you think that they'll actually come out? Oh yeah. I think they will. I think somebody, absolutely. I think, I think there will be one or two people inside the Biden camp who will event, who will actually, because they're going to be looking for, they're going to be looking for their next ticket, their next, you know, calling whatever. And it'll be a great, it'll be a great moneymaker. I'll buy it. Um, is, I, I wouldn't be I would not be shocked if anybody working on that campaign has signed a basically a gag order prior to as part of their agreement. Well, and they may they may have given that uh, somebody wrote a book about the 2016 from inside the Hillary Clinton, the Hillary campaign. So they may have. Um, but uh, but we'll have to see. This is this is a shot from uh, Pennsylvania yesterday, or maybe it was Friday, I don't remember. Um, but this is just a picture. This is a Trump rally oh, in Pennsylvania. God. This is Pennsylvania. Yep. Um, wow. this, is, this is unheard of. Uh, but of course the polls say that he's down double digits in Pennsylvania. Good and Lord. It's like a rock concert, man. Yeah, this is. I've been in mosh pits smaller than that. (laughs) Yeah, and here's here's Trump right here walking out onto the into the stage, Um, and estimates from the Trump campaign. And who knows? This could be them 
blowing, you know, smoke, who knows, you have to take it with a grain of salt. But, um, but what they're saying is about 50% of this crowd are actually Democrats, registered Democrats. And they do, they ask you as you're coming in, Republican, Democrat, whatever, um, you know, who knows, they may have lied, they may have, well, and you have to take okay. it with a grain of salt, but no, and, and honestly, okay, so let's, let's, let's say 50% of this crowd is what you're saying, according to Reuters is yeah. our registered Democrats. Well, according to the Trump campaign. Uh, okay. All right. Fine. I can actually believe that if, if for no other reason than this, and, and I'm, Speaking to all of the registered Democrats out there. Now, I know we've we've said a lot of, um, I guess, s slightly opinionated things about the Democratic Party. However, that being said, the Democratic Party that is out right now is not the Democratic Party that was out just 10 years ago. Right. This is this is not your quote unquote fathers and mothers Democratic Party. I mean that the Democratic Party that is out right now are so far left. And and I believe that there are a lot of lifelong Democrats out there, registered Democrats and registered Democratic voters who know that, who see it and go, I'm a Democrat. I'll never register Republican, but I can't go along with this stuff. This is just so far out there. I can't do it. I, I, I won't do it. Um, and I'll stay, I'll keep the D on my voter card so that I can try and help steer this all back. But this, this is, I can't do this. I, I can't yeah. go along with this. And you know what? I can't blame anybody out there who's a registered Democrat that, under, that thinks that way. I, I, I understand. I get it. Yeah, I totally get it. Well, so we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. Tuesday um, is is going to be you know interesting to say the least. Uh, I'll probably be glued to, um, uh, to Twitter if nothing else, watching the returns and and seeing how all of this unfolds. Um, but it'll, I think it'll it'll be exciting. If nothing else, it'll be exciting. It'll 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 be a very momentous night, most likely, yeah. regardless um, of how it shapes out. Yeah, regardless of how it shapes out. So in, in, in other news, you know, we, we said goodbye yesterday to um, mm. to Sean Connery. Yes, that was that was sad. I mean, he was 90 years old. He lived an amazing life and yeah. um, we'll see him again. <laughs> but um, yeah, the loss of a legend, I'll say that. <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the number of great films that he made. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean... Uh, that's I will say this if for nothing else about Sean Connery. He uh -huh. can take an absolutely terrible movie and make it awesome just by being a part of it. Yes. And, uh, um did you ever see First Night? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, he was in there. Yeah, right? Yeah, he I, was in there. <laughs> honestly, the movie was really oh, I love Camelot. I love yeah. King Arthur and Lancelot and the Knights of the Round Table. I am that nerd. But that movie was really bad. That being said, I own it. Why? Because Sean Connery made a pretty damn good King Arthur and he was just 
oh, and he made a he made a really crappy movie, pretty good, one yeah. that I could add to my collection and not feel guilty about. Well, did you ever see uh, Prince Valiant or Sword of the Valiant? Oh yeah, I I want to say yes. Yeah. I, I I have to say yes because that's he played that the is... Green Knight. Yes, in the Sword of the Valiant. Sword of the Valiant. Yes, yes, I did. He even has he even had his armor like exposes his whole chest and he walks around like a badass. <laughs> yeah. Like freaking Sean Connery, man. You know that was a bad movie, but it was great because of Sean Connery. It is. He has that ability. He, he could know. he could literally go on screen and poop, and it's yeah, old. and and you we know. would watch it. And we, I'll watch that. Sean one Connery's of my gonna take a dump one of it. my favorite one of my favorite Sean Connery films is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Yep. The, the the relationship it's it's not the thing that the thing that makes that movie so special is not just because Sean Connery is in it. It's because the relationship between a father and son yep. that are that is played exquisitely by Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. So good. I mean the way Sean Connery he's he is the badass. I mean really he's freaking James Bond. I mean right, come on. Right. Harrison Ford, as in Indiana Jones, tip my hat to you, sir. However, you're not going to hold a candle to Sean Connery. And yet, that role that he played was so humbled yeah. in the way he, and, and his mannerisms, and even in his speech, and almost offend, but almost played the pacifist kind of mentality in that to a point, just to offset, and did, it was phenomenal relationship and, and the banter back and forth i'll never forget when he uh uh he's riding in the sidecar next to indiana jones on the mic on the motorcycle and he's and indiana jones says um um he takes the lord's name in vain because he's upset and sean connery slaps him across the face with his glove yeah. <laughs> and he goes that's for blasphemy yeah <laughs> and he just sits there quietly <laughs> You know, another amazing film that Sean Connery made, terrible, terrible film, but it's made all the better because he is in it, uh, is the the film Zardoz. Whoa. Yeah, the film uh, Zardoz. I, I don't think I've seen that one. And he actually walks around the entire film in uh, basically underwear with, okay. with suspenders. Red underwear with red suspenders is basically yep. his, his. Haven't attire. seen that one. Yeah, uh, okay. Zardoz is another. It, the The film absolutely terrible. It's set in the future, uh, and in the future, uh, erections are illegal. Uh, but of course, <laughs> the, I guess puberty I say, must suck because I. <laughs> I mean. That just kind of happens sometimes, yeah. you know. You get yeah. a cold breeze or a warm breeze blow by. You're like, "Hey, what? I'm sorry." Yeah. Well, I think it was <laughs> the penis is evil. I think the penis was bad or something like that. Yeah, it has to do with uh, erections. But yeah, uh, movie is absolutely terrible. But Sean Connery is in it. Young Sean Connery, um, and that movie is awesome. And of course, we can't forget Highlander. Oh, awesome! I mean. I, I would never have been able to figure out how you can get somebody with as thick of a Scottish broad like Sean Connery to pull off a Spaniard 
and he did not change his accent at all. Yeah, yeah. but he did. A, 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 and we a, just went, yeah, that makes sense. Spaniard, Egyptian, Egyptian. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds nothing like either one of those. Looks nothing like either one but of those. We don't care. The entire viewing audience went, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because it's Sean Connery. Because Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. well, that makes total sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah, with the name with the name Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So yeah, that was that was tough. You know, I um, he definitely the loss of an of a legend this year. Yeah. Oh, and while. As far as I know, natural causes aside, I mean, it has not yet been called a COVID-related death, but I'm sure we haven't, uh, whatever, we're going to test on him yet, so. Yeah, <laughs> give it We'll give it wait time. for the CDC to, you know, give it a week, they'll go, yeah, we think he probably did have COVID, might have been six months ago, which probably led to, or contributed to at least, so there we go. Yeah, so, Okay. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the topic here because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about adaptation and how we actually adapt. Okay. Um, and, and you know that's kind of a adapt as individuals or as a society. As primarily as individuals, primarily as individuals. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I've been I've been doing a lot of research into mythology lately. And one of the one of the big prevailing themes of of mythology in general is the fact that myths create these frameworks that help us adapt as as human beings. Um, and without that, without any kind of adaptation, we're basically done. We're 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 done in the water because um, you know we've talked about in the past. You and I have talked about how. Um, chaos in the world is always is always right on the precipice it always is gonna it's always about ready to come into our lives mm -hmm. and we often experience that um sometimes daily uh and, and in other situations that we might we might live a pretty well and ordered life and then maybe every couple of months or every few weeks we get some chaos that comes into our life and that chaos can manifest in different forms it can manifest in your car breaking down. It could manifest um, in losing your job. It could manifest in a family member getting really sick or getting hurt. And, and these are things that need to be overcome. And we talked about uh, the need for, you know, re religion, if, mm -hmm. if you will, or at least some way to provide a framework for people's lives. And why you can't just be spiritual or, or not religious, but spiritual. Remember when we talked about that, right? We're, people that say, well, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. And one of the, one of our criticisms against that was, well, if you're, if you're just spiritual and you don't have any kind of moral framework to, by which you abide by, then there's nothing that's keeping you on a particular path, you're free to make up your own rules as you go along through life. Mm -hmm. And now talk about chaos coming in and just kind of taking over, because if you don't have anything to measure that chaos against, 
or to figure out how to overcome that chaos, then you're, you're going to be, you're going to be lost and you're going to struggle. And so adaptation comes into play here. Um, and the reason why I bring up mythology is because a lot of, if you study uh, myths, particularly by Joseph Campbell, he was a very prominent um, mythological scholar. One of the things that he collectively states is world religions have their own mythologies. And he doesn't mean to say that to be to downplay or downgrade mythologies. He says that to really, or to downgrade religion, he says that to uplift them. Because by being a myth, according to Joseph Campbell, you are promoting something of tremendous value to the human psyche and the human spirit and the human way of existence. Uh, and so we have to, when we look to religion, we're actually technically looking to a framework that helps guide us through these turbulent times when chaos in, you know, it comes into our lives and, and the mythology of our own religion even gives us a framework to, by which we can adapt and, and overcome. What do you think about all that? Okay, well, <laughs> sorry. I'm just going to pause like, there because I don't want to keep. Along. I, I, I don't want to keep talking because otherwise I'll be talking for another <laughs> hour and a half. <laughs> well, and you, when we talked about the the people who go with the, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Um, you know, I've known people like that, and and their lives are always in, I guess, kind of a, a measured state of chaos. But is it possible that? that is a means of defense or a defense mechanism, if you will, for people in that state to be able to cope with their lives always being in a state of chaos. Let me qualify what I guess I'm getting okay. at. If you or I, we have something traumatic happen in our lives, you know, work took a turn for the worst or even a turn for the better, but it's going to mean all this other stuff. Well, you or I, we have to, we have to stop. We have to pause, analyze, refocus our energies, uh, account for the variables, you know, and we look at that in an analytical way because that's our way, or at least my way, I guess I should be more particular about how I say that. That's my way of being able to apply a sense of order to that chaos so that I can traverse that path whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. um, is it possible, however, that other people who are used to and, and have become accustomed to their lives being in total chaos all the time, <clears throat> that if something traumatic happens at work, a family member dies, and they're like, well, one more thing, no big deal. It's all, something's always happening. You know, it's all that. That's just the way it is, man. That's the free love. And that's the free energy of the world. You can't hold it down. You got to just go with it. And, and maybe, maybe that offers them some, some liberty in that. So there's no sense to have to try and adapt and then overcome to that new obstacle because their life is already just, just a obstacle as is. Okay. Okay. So I, th I think you bring up a really great point. And, and my, my response is this, if, if you're not growing and adding to your, your own schema, okay? So psychologists, psychologists talk about these mental models or schemas that we develop and they, we start developing these when we're infants and, we, and, and a schema is a way that we interpret the world, the world around us. 
And as we add to those schemas, as we learn about different things, our schemas grow. And those schemas are essentially a collection of the values and belief systems that we have as individuals. And, and as we add collective knowledge to those schemas, essentially our intelligence is growing. And at the same time, our ability to deal with the chaos that can come into our life also changes. And it, it, it becomes um, a greater resource for us as individuals. So people that have people that are technically more uh, intelligent or have more knowledge about things, they're going to have better adaptability for chaos that comes into their lives. Now, people that do not take the opportunity to increase their knowledge and grow in intelligence, and I'm not saying go to school necessarily, but just learning, whether it's through experience or, you know, picking up new skills and, and trying things out. If you don't grow in your intelligence, then your schema is going to stay very constricted. So to those people that say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. A lot of those people, especially those, those new age types, if you look at, at psychological studies of people who buy into new, new age thinking, they, they tend to be very low on the intelligence factor. They don't have a lot of knowledge about the world around them. And so quite frankly, their, their schemas are much more smaller. And so as a, as a consequence of that, as a result of having these smaller schemas, essentially, their ability to grow and improve becomes stifled. And so when you, when you don't have the ability to adapt to a lot of things, then you just sort of stay in your comfort zone. Right. Right. And you don't, you don't want to grow outside of that. So the, the spiritual religious people tend to be more willing to stay in their comfort zone. Yep. And, and, um, don't mistake my, my argument. I'm looking at the, uh, well, is that possible? Am I saying that that is a, a good path for human development? No. Um, no, it's certainly possible. And, yes. Yeah. When you're talking about schemas. So another analogy, and I remember going through this when I was going through psychology class, um, but let's just pretend. So your schema, when you're young, let's say you're traveling down the interstate or the, the road and you have a tire blowout, you pull over you're freaking out. You've never had to change a tire in your life. You don't know what the heck you're doing. You're fiddling with the jack. You're trying to do this. You end up calling somebody on the phone because you don't know what you're doing. I mean, it is life altering and you go, oh my God, it's crazy. <laughs> Once you've had to change a blown out tire and you figure the jack out and you get the spare out and you put the new spare on and you tighten it all down and you're good to go and you head on down the road, all of those little experiences, all those little things you learned, each one of those little steps, your brain kind of compartmentalizes <laughs> and labels changing of tire and stores it away in the file cabinet of your brain so that later on, next time, if it happens again, you go, oh, I've done this before. It's not traumatizing. You get out, you do your change of tire, and you head on your way. If it ever happens again, you're like, ah, pfft no big deal. I can do it. Now I can, it's like the, was it the, the Christmas story where the dad thought he was a, he wanted to be in the NASCAR pit row. So he's like, all right, time me. And he wanted <laughs> to see how fast he could change a tire. He looked forward to yeah. getting a flat tire. 
that's an example of how your brain has taken that chaos, that life-altering event, and categorized it into that one small schema, if you will, and it's just overcoming those little things. And you've conditioned yourself so that now anything like that happens again, you're prepared for it. You can handle it better every time that ever happens. Now, I'm not saying go out and change 100,000 tires because it's going to help you if you ever, that's not a good path. What I'm saying is you personally overcoming little things, that's how you actually grow and develop further on. So that's another example of how, a, a, what a schema actually is. There's, well, and- a, of course, that's a microcosm of a big, of a bigger um, label for that. But yeah. And, you know, to use your, your analogy of, of getting a flat tire um, we, we still hone in on that, on that particular schema. Okay. Because that has, now we have that experience of having that flat tire and trying to figure out how to deal with it. Okay. And that, when we had that flat tire and being able to overcome that, we, we have experienced a certain level of strife in our life. Okay. The emotions and the psychological uh, effects of that chaos coming into our life at that moment is so much like if we, if we were to measure it, right, it's going to be so high. It's not massively high, but it's, it's high enough where it was stressful at the time when that happened. And so even though it's related to changing a tire or getting a flat tire on the interstate, if you have future chaos, the next time you have some chaos come in, that is about the same amount or less in terms of stress on your life. Well, you've been through a prior equally stressful situation, the flat tire. And so now you are at least psychologically more equipped to handle this little stressor, this new stressor that has entered into your life. Well, and and not only that, but you have to also think about the other things that you are developing along the way as well. There, it might not seem like much. Again, we're using the flat tire analogy. But mm-hmm. in that instance, if I was able to get out and get it done myself, there's self-reliance that I'm mm-hmm. building in myself. There's competency that, you know, I know what a lug nut is or certain sense of actually a a self-accomplishment when I'm able to get that done. And it starts to build a sense of character in you and a self-reliance in you that I think is sorely missing in this country right now. But anyway, you're building up that confidence in who you are as an individual is what your capabilities are. Those being able to overcome little things like that builds someone up to be to set them up so that they're able to tackle something of greater complication if that comes along and that's how we continually develop up and up and up the ladder um, within ourselves as we develop so on this on this whole journey that i've been doing with studying mythology one of the things that um that I've, that I've encountered during a lot of this or that I've been thinking about um, has intersected with games, the general concept of games. Okay. Um, and, and I've been finding this really interesting because as we develop as, as children, you know, starting right away, um, children tend to play games. 
And we might often label, you know, when a child is playing, we might recognize that they are playing, right? We know that they might be playing with toys or something. Um, even if you're playing peekaboo with a, with an infant, for example, right? To, to essentially what you're doing is you're, you're playing a game and there are different, there are different types of games that, uh, that lead into a human's development Okay, as they grow into adulthood. And so often, you know, with, with little children, they do more imitation. Uh, they, you play these imitation style games, but as the child grows, you know, continues to grow, they'll start to, they'll start to play games where, you know, they want to play house, for example, or they want to, uh, you know, you have a child who has a doll. And this is why I get really frustrated when you see schools or, countries, different areas in these different countries that say, or these crazy, these crazy people that say, you know what, I'm not going to allow my daughter to play with dolls. Mm. And, you know, part of the, part of that problem, or the, the thing that comes that they fail to recognize is that it's not just, you know, if a little girl is playing and has a baby doll and she's taking care of it, there's a symbolic relationship that mirrors the relationship that the child has with her mother. Okay. And, or her father. And so the child will treat the doll in a symbolic situation as the child is treated by the parents. And so by playing with that doll, they're in essence reenacting symbolically the relationship that they have with their parents, which is teaching them how to behave in a relationship with, uh, with a smaller being, right? And these are things that lead to adaptation and allow the child to grow and evolve. And it's, so when I hear about people saying, well, I'm not gonna allow my daughter to play with dolls or I'm not gonna allow my son to play with dump trucks, right? You have children that will, that will play destructively where they, they, they'll build up something and then they'll destroy it. And there are people that get freaked out. Well, I don't want my child destroying anything because that's, that's bad. It's negative energy. And look at their, they're breaking things when they do that. Well, you don't want them breaking grandma's China, but if they build a, a, a building made out of blocks and then they destroy it, there's symbolic action of them, right. In, in just bringing it down so that they can rebuild it back up again, or they can do something new with it. So these, you know, we, we, we play all of these different types of games, which lead to our overall adaptation. But one of the, these games eventually lead to games with rules. Right. right. And, and when we start introducing rules, we're, what we're doing is we're introducing socialization techniques and the ability to adapt in and interact in our environment. And if you have a, if you have kids playing and they're playing, you know, they make up some, you know, they make up Calvin ball where they're playing some made up sport in the backyard. And if one kid starts throwing a fit, then the other kid doesn't want to play with them. Right. right? And they become ostracized, so to speak, or they have to, you know, the, the children will, the kids will figure out a way, you know, I don't want to play with you. Go sit over there which teaches them, hey, you know what? If I want to play and have fun with all of the other kids, I need to play to get along. I need to follow the rules that we've created as, as kids and kind of go along with it. Right. And that's how we adapt. You know, that's another method of us uh, 
adapting as we grow older. Wow. Okay. Um, so let's say we started with peekaboo and then <laughs> now, so, you know, following what you said, I mean, games is, I, I love that you brought games into this and it's, and particularly board games. Um, and if anybody's played games as a family, you know, there's, there's a lot, well, at least in my family, much love to my family. We played games all the damn time. There was a lot of learning that had um, math, a lot of social interaction and, and learning how to read and interact with people. Unfortunately, it led to little side groups forming and people ganging up. I will never play Monopoly. I'm just, no, my, my family has ruined it. And I blame my brother and sister for that mostly, but nevertheless. Um, but there's that development that happens along there. I mean, and, you know, my daughter it was into Candyland quite a bit. And she's getting out of that. She wants to play bigger kid games. And it's interesting to me watching her play because, yes, she did. She used to build the Lego block towers, you know, those big mm -hmm. giant blocks. And look, it's a tower. First thing she did, push it over. Want to make sure to push it over and watch the blocks hit the floor and scatter and go everywhere. Right. Let's do it again. We're going to build back better. <laughs> And, you know, wow. so she's, she loves, she loved doing that, but yeah, we've gotten to Candyland. She liked it for a long time because she was winning. And then she had to learn the rules too, that sometimes she got set back or had to wait a turn and she pouts. I have to wait a turn because I'm on the licorice X, which means I get skipped. Um, or I got the peppermint patty, which sent me all the way back to the beginning and I'm not going to win now, but she's learning that too. Now she's on to games. She wants to learn to do the bigger kid games and wants to play more with the adults. And, and that's, again, uh, now that she's got those rules and she's overcome the challenges of the smaller games, she's wanting and able to move on. She's mm -hmm. adapted beyond that. She wants to keep progressing along that way. It's really kind of, um, it's kind of cool to watch and, and be a part of. It's, it's very interesting for someone like me. We were talking about, you know, if you wanted to stay in that sense of chaos and not really develop, I play Candyland with her and I'm like, oh my God, this is absolutely maddening. I can't do Candyland anymore. I, I can't wait till we get you at least to like, ooh, or some, mm -hmm. even the game, sorry, you know, would be a little bit, would be a much improved <laughs> version of where we're at. But um, it's interesting watching those rules. And it's funny, you bring up like the social interaction even with um, kids playing like a freeze tag or something, my daughter said there was another one. But when you have somebody not following the rules, how they get kind of ostracized, nope, you're out. You don't get to play with us anymore. That kind of, I call it a social contract that happens mm -hmm. within peers. Um, I see that out in the world all over. And even us as adults, there's, there's a social contract a generalized understanding of what our code of conduct is, um, how we regulate our behavior within other people, you know, those kind of things, those social norms becomes a contract of engagement between the, the, the parties involved. We have that around and, and when that breaks down or somebody violates that, 
it's immediately apparent, even though that might not be against the quote unquote law, it's a violation of the social contract we have occupying the same space and time. And it's almost more offensive to us than if you just broke the law. Right. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree with that, you know, because when, when we, when we play a game socially, we, we have to, you know, it's not just about the rules that are there, but we have to agree on the rules. So you and I, so even a, even a game where the goal is for, is for us to try to backstab each other or take advantage of, of other people, of other players, right? This is something that happens um, in EVE Online. There's this video game called EVE Online. Um, and it's pretty cutthroat. I mean, there, there's a lot of backstabbing that happens in that game. Um, and, uh, and there are a lot of people that often wonder, well, is that, is that wholesome for humans to participate in something so cutthroat where they're literally, you know, causing so much chaos and mayhem to other players. But the reality is, is the players still recognize that it's a fantasy world. They don't forget that. And they recognize that this is a part, this is a way of playing the game that, Going into it, there's warnings that say, this is how people play this game. They right. backstab one another. So well, don't trust anybody. That's part of the social contract that you essentially sign when you enter into that world, right. and into that game where you agree to the rules set forth. It is entirely different if, you know, let's take you're at work and, and you're talking to a colleague. Now, this stays between you and me and, you know, right here. And you tell them something here's secret bombshell number one, four, six, bam, you lay it on them. And then you immediately hear that person go tell someone else. And now they're talking bad about you. Th that's 10 times worse than right. anything they could ever do. If, you know, breaking the rules um, at work, that's, you know, or any, or even breaking the law um, because that's, they've broken that sense of, just unspoken trust that you have amongst that peer group occupying that same space and time. Right. They would rather you play the game, even if you don't play it well, than for you to violate the social contracts, because at that point they would rather, they don't want to, they don't want to deal with you at all. Um, what's interesting about games too, is games often have, uh, particularly fantasy based games or games that, uh, that enact our imaginations, they tend to have uh, symbolic representations of the real world manifested within the game itself. So even a game like chess or go or checkers, for example, there are, there are elements that can be symbolically represented in the gaming space. And so again, this lends itself to adaptation. There are, you, you may have talk to people that played chess or uh, played backgammon and they might, or, or even go and, and they'll talk about the life lessons that chess offers, right. To, to people, you learn more about who you are as a person, or you learn about the world through, through studying something like chess or studying a game like go, there are whole books written on these kinds of topics. Right. And that's because 
as as human beings, whether we, in some cases, I think with a game like Go or chess, we symbolically present or at least depict into the game through our own minds, these symbolic representations of what are happening in the real world. But in a game like a video game, for example, often there are symbolic representations that are placed there by the developers themselves for you to sort of discover and for you to go, oh, get, I see what you're doing here. Or I recognize this imagery from, you know, from other types of other types of stories. Um, and, you, you know, we talked about this from, you know, the Mass Effect games, for example, um, at the end of Mass Effect 3, I don't know if you remember, but there's the, there's the, well, if you play enough, if you do enough and you unlock everything, right, there are the three endings where there's the, the red, which is destroy the Reapers and the blue, which is take control of the Reapers. And then the green one is the, the, the synthesize, you, you, you kind of merge synthetics with humans. What's really interesting in that, um, in that ending, if you watch it, if you watch the ending of, of that particular moment where Shepard chooses that and runs in, remember there's this gr- there's a shaft of green light and Shepard dives off the, 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 you know, this gangway plank plank or something like that dives into the light. It, but the character's arms are outstretched. And if you watch that, it's very similar imagery to him being on the cross, dying like Christ on the cross or her if you're playing as a female chef. Um, but those are those are symbolic representations. I mean, it's at that moment, right, when Shepard is basically saving all of humanity. It's in that moment where Shepard is saving humanity that Shepard takes the form of Christ on the cross. There, there's, a, there's a mythological symbolism that's there that speaks back to those frameworks of adaptation and not to mention, but in a video game, Video games are designed to be difficult. They're designed to force us to adapt over and over and over again in order to get through the game and be able to conquer the game and and see the end. You have to, you're gonna fail a lot. As a gamer, even if you're playing chess, you know you're going to fail a lot while you learn to play and you're gonna have to reflect on what you did and get better. So games naturally are designed for us to fail and for and to stretch our ability to adapt and everything, which is why I find video games even so um, much more interesting as well, because now you can, not only do you have the game where you have, you're adapting just to overcome and play the game, but now you can start layering in these mythological stories, which are in and of themselves frameworks for adaptation that we can use that reference back to these concepts of, Jesus and Moses and all of these sorts of things layered into the story. And you can actually be the heroic character, not just observe the heroic character. So there's a sense of agency that comes along into them that builds in and kind of keeps layering on all of this adaptation that happens. Wow. You got a lot for me to unpack in all that. (laughs) So Note to self, don't get Lucy talking about video games. You're going to end up hanging out for a little while. Um, but no, I do. I remember that ending in Mass Effect. And, you know, any anytime you're going to depict a self-sacrifice, it's always open arms. Otherwise, anything else is going to appear guarded or, um, you know, forced. It's a willingness. It is an open willingness to, to give yeah. of oneself. And, you know, there's... Um, 
there's references just, I mean, all, all over the place. Um, anytime you have someone open arms, it is that open willingness to, to give openly of yourself. You cannot guard against attack. You cannot fend off anything if your arms are completely outstretched. But, um, but, but hold on just one second, but hold on there because, you know, it's, it would have been very possible to actually have Shepard do a cannonball into the light. Cannonball does not express self-sacrifice. That expresses, I'm the fat kid going to piss everybody off in the pool. I get that. I would totally do that. But that's not what you're going for here. Um, no, it's 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 a complete vulnerability um, and acceptance of that vulnerability. There There isn't a martial art or fighting stance in the world that, at least not that worked, that starts out with you standing with your arms out like this. Right. Everything is in guarded and close. So to do this is symbolically to open yourself up to that. So yes, uh, I can, I can see the, uh, the correlation. Um, and as far as difficulty and adaptation within um, video games, within game, well, we started off talking about, you know, very simple games. I made the reference to Candyland. Well, Candyland is only interesting and intriguing as long as you are at that level. At right. some point, you need to progress to something different. Right. Chess, to use your one of your game examples, is an incredibly robust game. And all, not only are you playing against the pieces on the board, but also the player um, who you're playing against. And so it's, it's a very complex and comprehensive um, adaptation always. Um, if you talk to people who've played chess and are very good at chess, they're nine moves at least ahead on what they want to do and trying to account for nine other moves that their opponent can also do and where they go from there. So you talk about taking all of this action and then try to adapt and redirect. And I mean, it's, it's very, um, uh, exponential at that point. And it gets very, 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 very complicated very quickly. But the more you do it and the more you see it, the more equipped you are to handle that. And, and even in other video games, um, you have to adapt and keep going. Any game that is easy, you end up putting down and putting aside because it doesn't offer you any challenge. Um, so you, there is a certain level of difficulty. Now, don't get me wrong. There are other games that you play that are so incredibly stupid hard that you can never get anywhere in it and you go this is freaking dumb and i put it aside <laughs> an example of that is anytime you put lucy on a controller behind a driving game yes it's amazing Screw he that. can't drive a car <laughs> to save his life <laughs> and he quits yes um no that That's is off. not part of his schema <laughs> no and i don't want it to be i don't want it man come on come on <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned something about chess and how, you know, chess players are like nine, trying to think nine moves ahead. I actually know a guy who is, he's not yet a grandmaster, but he's damn near close. Uh, and, and he's really, really articulate at, at chess and has been studying the game for, gosh, 10 plus years. Uh, and I asked him that question. I said, so do you think you know multiple moves ahead? And he said, no, I only think about the move that I'm currently looking at on the board. And I said, well, he, and I said, why is that? And he said, he said, people who don't know how to play chess think that other people that know how to play chess 
view nine moves ahead. Oh, okay. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, they, there's no, there's, and, and this is what I really find fascinating. And this is why I, okay. I think okay. that there's a lot of lesson. There's, there's a life lessons, for example, in, in a game like chess, because, because chess is all about how you manage your available resources. And one of the things that he told me was, he said, there's no point in trying to think multiple, multiple turns ahead because all you're doing at that moment is wasting resources. You're wasting your energy. You're, you're, you know, you're going to tire your brain out. If you do that, you're going to get exhausted. So just play the pieces that are in front of you and you only take the most advantageous, um, you know, maneuver right now. Um, now you might say, Hey, I might risk something and say, well, I'm going to make a move here and see if they take the bait, but you're not trying to plan. Okay. If he okay. moves here and then moves here and then moves there, and then, then I'll be able to move this piece, right. which I, I think that's really, I think that's really fascinating because as humans, that's what we try to do every day. When, when we have these schemas, right. We can't, when, when, when chaos comes into our life, we have to take the information that is, that is available to us. And we don't have infinite resources. We don't have infinite time to, to see through every option to their conclusion and then pick the best one. We, we often just work out something really fast, make a decision, pick one path, and it might not even be the best path but it was the best path at the time, given the available information and the constraints that we were working under. Now, okay, I, I absolutely 100% can accept that, but my okay. beef with that is this. If you do not take any time to evaluate where you are and what your options are, then that is purely a knee-jerk reaction, and you have no idea whether you took the best path or not. Right. Now, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and absolutely, in a moment where we're confronted with chaos and we have to confine order, but at that moment, that is where I always say, okay, stop, take a breath, and I'm working on this with my daughter. Take a breath. What are your options available? Are you sure? If you do this, what's going to happen? What about this? What about this? What about this? Now, is there anything else you have not yet considered? If the answer is no, then you have your options. Evaluate which is going to be the most advantageous and go for it. Because unfortunately, I think there's a lot of analytical people out there. Um, and I think I mentioned this in, in a previous episode where they get so lost in the analytics of possibility Mm -hmm. that they're they are limited by inaction they cannot mm -hmm. make a decision and they're they're stagnant in that they, they don't want to take the wrong path so they don't ever take a path and that's mm -hmm. absolutely the wrong answer that is how you stagnate your own development you have you get nowhere the problem that you're faced with always gets worse with time nothing gets better with time it always mm -hmm. gets worse you can't just wait it out 99 percent of the time um, doing something as I say is always better than doing nothing, but be aware of the consequences of the actions you do take. Right. But the, when I was talking about time and taking, making the decision, we don't have infinite time. So often as adults now, your, your, your daughter, who's a child might have more time and be able to look at different options. And even in adult situations, 
we're going to, we will use the available time allotted to us to make the decision. But there are a lot of situations where we don't have a lot of time to make sure. a decision sure. and you have to make one. Mm -hmm. For example, you might have to make a decision by tomorrow morning and you could literally spend weeks pondering. For oh, example, yeah. if all of a sudden, if you were handed a, a, um, a job offer that said, Jason, by noon tomorrow, I need to know if you're going to take the job offer and move to New York. There's a lot to unpack and to think oh, yeah. about it. And you might not have enough time to really think about it. So you're going to make the decision as best you can, given the constraints that are available to you. Now, to the point where you said, and I'm glad you brought it up, where there are people who get bogged down with the analysis paralysis and they can't make a decision. Mm -hmm. That's also part of a lack of an adaptation schema. They, they don't have a, a robust enough schema. And so they don't know what to do. In, sure. other, in other words, and, and when you look at those particular people, there are usually, there's usually something their their knowledge capacity, their intelligence is more than likely a lot lower. I'm not saying always, but they're going to have, they're not going to have as robust of a schema. And again, what goes into making that schema? Knowledge, intelligence, adding, and I'm not just saying just the natural intelligence. I'm talking about the knowledge repository that exists in our mind, because what we do is when that chaos comes into our life, we basically pass that, the, our choices, our options through that schema to come out on the other side and whatever comes out on the other side, that's the decision that we're going to make. So they don't have a well enough defined schema to make a decision. And, and so they're, they're searching for something to tell them what to do. And so quite frankly, the reason why they don't have as, as well of a defined schema is quite frankly, they're, they don't have enough knowledge behind them to assess that situation and deal with it. Well, and this is probably the biggest danger I, I see um, for our society as a whole right now. It's in that spot right there. Mm -hmm. Our inability to pass that situation through our own experience and knowledge and schema. Grabbing onto some other external information is always good to help guide you, but ultimately making the decision and it's yours to make. What I believe we are, we've crippled ourselves with is looking for the external information to direct our paths for us. Right. And I don't, I don't care what that is, but if I can't make a decision and I, how many times can you say somebody's picked up this little computer in their pocket and said, what should I have for dinner? Right. And you got 101 options and you know, this is what you should have. Oh, I'll try that. Okay, fine. I mean, from little things like that to, there was a time when you and I could not actually type in, um, in a search engine. There wasn't even hardly a thing as a search engine, but you remember we had to actually search on the internet, a very particular way to try and get answers to questions. Mm -hmm. You couldn't mm -hmm. ask, should I move to New York? Right, right. You remember that? You're like right. New York moving to pros slash cons. You know what right. I mean? You had to actually um, key those out even differently. Now I can ask, uh, I don't even have to pick up my phone and go, hey, Siri, you know, or, or hey, Alexa, should I move to New York? And next thing you know, my phone is literally directing my life. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. because I don't have any of that past knowledge. I don't have any of that ability to adapt and overcome. I have no confidence in myself on whether I can, you know, if I move out to New York and the job that I thought I had out there fails and the house that I had to live in isn't available and there's no apartments, what am I going to do? And if I'm that person who just picked up the phone and said, should I move to New York? Absolutely. It's a great place to live. Okay. Then I'll take the job and go. I'm lost. I'm defeated. I'm a broken person. If I'm not, and I made that decision and all of that happens, I go, okay, well, that didn't work. What are we going to do? I got to figure out this. I'm going to figure out this. I've got to, this is more chaos than I was prepared for, but you know what? I've got to, I'm, I'm going to overcome this just like I've overcome everything else. And we're going to make it work. Don't worry, honey. We'll be fine. We'll figure it out. You know, tonight, first things first, we need shelter. What are we going to do? We'll get a hotel. I'll, we'll sleep in the car. I don't care. Even if that's what it's got to be, we'll do something. We will survive. This will not break me as a human being. And right now in our society, I feel like we are just pawns ready to be sacrificed to save the king and queen um you're right and and the the adaptation schemas the schemas that we have in our life right they're they're not just for making the decision but they're also for helping us cope with the chaos that's already present in our life mm -hmm. so we have to you know if you if you suffer a death if somebody dies in your family or or a really close friend passes away uh, you have to deal with, there, there's now chaos that has entered your, into your life and you have to deal with it. And if, if you don't have a well enough defined schema, you're not going to know how to even handle the death, handle the emotion of it so that you can actually make a decision and act in the world. You're going to be frozen. You're going to be stuck. Um, and then when you do make a decision, there are going to be outcomes of that decision like there always are. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to be able to, you're going to have to deal with those, with those outcomes, because, you know, if you're making decisions and maybe you're constrained and you don't have enough resources to make the best decision, but you just make the best one that you can, it, it may very well be the wrong decision. And there are going to be, there's going to be fallout for that. Sure. And so now you have to deal with the leftover chaos that is going to exist in your life. So you have right. to have, and this is what it, this comes back to, you know, having those values and, and, and how do we develop that schema, that framework to guide us going back to the spiritual, not religious people, they don't have any framework. They typically do not have a framework to help guide them in their, in their daily life. They don't have anything that's grounded. The, the danger from all of this, if you don't have anything like that in your life to ground you and to guide you and to act as your North Northern star, then any, anything can come in and replace it because nature abhors a vacuum. And this is when it gets really, really dangerous because now you're very susceptible to external ideologies to take over your life. And that's how people fall into, you know, Antifa, they fall into Black Lives Matter, they fall into, I'm going to support, you know, the communist movement, I'm going to support this thing over here. Because they're looking for some kind of guidepost right. on how they're going to make decisions and how they're going to act in the world. Yep. It's that um, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. 
It really is. Um, and you know, I've made bad decisions in my life. I've made bad decisions growing up and, and, you know, my mom, um, my grandfather would both say, well, what did you learn from that? Okay. You made a bad decision. You fouled it up. What did you learn from that? How could you have done it better? And it's not that they were going, you know, they're trying to beat me over the head with being a dumb dumb. It's their trying. They were trying to develop um, a sense of understanding in me so that I did not get either duped into doing something stupid later on or um, when that problem or something like that would ever come again, I would be able to go, whoa, this looks familiar. I think I can do this better this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about your mom. Um, something bad happened or somebody mistreated you and she goes, eh, builds character. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? It does. Because you start to learn who you are, what you're susceptible to, what you're capable Mm -hmm. of, and how to move on from that. And if you have absolutely no sense of moral grounding or no moral compass, anybody can come whisper in your ear something that sounds really good, and you can go along with that. And I know that sounds extremely nefarious, but in all honesty, it's true. I mean, how... These, these little, these move, and I say little, these movements, these ideologies that we are seeing right now in our culture, they're not, I mean, <laughs> these aren't just spontaneous. I mean, this, these are ideas that have been planted and it's it, probably not with much effort, really. Right. It's just coming from what somebody feels at the time is a credible source of information to tell them what they should believe and what they should do. And they say, okay, if they have nothing else to give them any kind of um, moral compass, moral fiber, that grounding that you and I talked about. Um, yeah. It's very easy to fall in line with that. And that's not, that's not just religion. I mean, that's, those are even family values and a good family support structure and a good upbringing, you know, um, Sorry to say it, but a father and a mother, both in the picture, really does help that too. Um, without any of that kind of stuff, it leaves it somebody susceptible to being influenced very, very easily. And ideology is very, very sexy. It's very appealing. It's very easy to fall into and go right along with. Yeah, yeah. That's why right. cults exist. That's why they. That's why cults exist. Um, we should talk about that one on a future. Uh, on a yeah. future uh, episode right now I'm watching, I think I mentioned to you earlier, I'm watching a show on HBO. I, I encourage anybody to, to, to check it out if they're interested. It's called the vow. And uh, it's, there was an organization called NXIVM. They would members of the organization pronounced it as Nexium. It was actually kind of interesting. The, um, the, the organization was called Nexium, this NXIVM, but then there were these, small businesses that were created underneath this large organization name. And so there was, you know, there was a one organization, it was for training essentially to help you adapt. And when I was watching it, I thought, well, this is really related to adaptation. They're, they're teaching people how to change their, their mental schemas so that they can adapt in the world. And that's essentially what they were doing. Um, there was another group, another business spun off where um, it was for women, specifically for women and, and helping them overcome issues and be more successful in their lives. And then there was, there was even a spin off for 
for men. Um, and, and essentially all of these different things, they were just, um, they were improvement type things. They, they, they sold, the company sold, all of these different companies sold seminars for self-improvement. It was really all they were doing. But it became something twisted. It became something much more twisted because the head of the organization that started it, uh, he got drunk on power essentially. And because he was creating the, these positive interactions with people and was really helping people, they, he was, you know, the, all of these, these customers of his saw him as like a God, even though he wasn't saying that he was a God, they really saw him and they treated him like rock star. And that power went to his head and he started trafficking women and, you know, and getting them into this other group, this other new sect within the larger organization. And he was grooming them as sex slaves, essentially. Um, so it, it's, it's quite fascinating, you know, how people can fall into that trap of ideology, how others can manipulate human beings to, um, to, to be enslaved to these ideologies. So I encourage anybody to check it out. It's on HBO uh, called The Vow. You might recognize some of it. There was a, you know, at the time when this organization was really coming into its own, there was um, uh, a young lady named um, Allison Mack. She was part of the organization, but she was a member of the cast of Smallville off of the CW, which was about Superman in high school. Um, and she was one of the main people of this organization. She was, she was basically trafficking these women and getting branding them, literally branding them with soldering irons and, and serving these young women up to be sex slaves to the, the, the main guy. Yeah. He went to jail. Um, and I'm not sure what happened to her. I like, I'm still watching this. I'm about halfway through the, the series. I'm really hoping it spend some time on her because right now it's not yet focused on Allison Mack, but she has been mentioned. Um, anyway, check it out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We get right on that. All right. All right. Well, we've got um, election day on Tuesday. Oh, it's coming. Two days oh, out. It'll be nice to get it over and done with. I'm sick and tired of all the signs. <laughs> we'll see. Well, you say it'll be nice to get it over and done with. Well, election day will come and go we'll see how the over and done with part comes yeah we'll see how they right we'll see how that well how that comes um so next our next episode will be really interesting because we will be dealing with the after effects of the election and who knows we might not even have a president declared at that point um sure. if it's too close it could drag on for weeks it could be longer than that, depending upon what goes on. Yeah, yeah. So, so it'll be interesting. I hope not. I hope not. All right. Well, um, any last parting words on anything? Nope. We're good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, you can catch all of our stuff off of the off of fusionunderground.net. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fusion underground or AZ Fusion Underground, how to remember that. We're on YouTube. Um, all of our audio 
feeds are off of our website. So you can catch us off of uh, Breaker, Anchor, Stitcher, Apple. I don't even remember them all. They're all on our <laughs> website. So just go to <laughs> go there and check them out. Um, and on Twitter, we're on Twitter too, at FU Brothers. And you can obviously send us hate mail, contact at fusionunderground.net. I'm Manuel Ramirez. And for Jason Moret, this is the Fusion Underground. Cheers, everybody. Good night.